0: Straits brings legal and business insights at the intersection of the shipping and energy sectors. This podcast series offers trends, developments, challenges and topics of interest from Reed Smith litigation, regulatory and finance lawyers across our network of global offices. If you have any questions about the topics discussed on this podcast, please do contact our speakers.
1: Thank you everyone very much for joining us. My name is Elizabeth Farrell. I am a partner in the commodities team within Energy and Natural Resources at Reed Smith. And I am joined today by Alexander Sandyforth, who is a partner within the transportation group at Reed Smith. We both have lots of experience of dealing with commercial disputes. And this marks our second of a two part podcast talking about recent developments in in court procedure, and what in-house lawyers need to know about that. So in the last episode, uh, we talked about alternative dispute resolution and witness statements, in particular, the court's new practice direction on witness statement evidence. And today we're going to talk about disclosure and touch a little bit on remote hearings. So I hope you enjoy our conversation today so I will move on to speak very briefly about the disclosure pilot scheme. And I'm keeping it brief, partly because it's so terribly, terribly complicated and somewhat impenetrable uh, on first glance that um, really we would need to do, I think, 20 podcasts to do it full justice. So I think all we can do today is to draw it to the attention of those uh, listening who are not already aware that there is a what is known as a a pilot scheme it's technically a pilot it applies in the business and property courts um, although not the admiralty court and not in the case of shorter trial scheme cases it applies at least until the 31st of december 2021 but all the signs are that it will be become permanent After that point, perhaps with just a few tweaks, it certainly doesn't apply to arbitrations. And indeed, it's quite a different approach to that taken um, when it comes to disclosure of documents for arbitration proceedings. The big changes that the disclosure pilot brings are that there should be initial disclosure of documents with the particulars of claim. There is a whole new scheme for extended disclosure, which replaces completely the old standard disclosure regime. And it is based on the parties cooperating. It's possible, possibly an element of optimism there um, that the courts might have to take steps to enforce. But it requires cooperation of the, the parties to agree a list of issues for disclosure. Uh, which might be different to the full list of issues in the case. And then for each issue, an agreed model from one of models A to E um, set out in the disclosure pilot scheme. Now, there's already been uh, been several cases uh, in which the judges have commented on the application of the disclosure pilot scheme. Uh, One of them is the case of McParland and Whitehead, where the judge was very clear in castigating parties, saying that the disclosure pilot is not meant to be a stick to beat opponents with, and that the court will be inclined to um, grant cost orders against parties who are using the disclosure scheme for tactical posturing. However, I think so far, frankly, there's been an element of pain for parties and for their legal teams in dealing with the disclosure pilot scheme um, in terms of toing and fro between parties about which models should apply to which issues, and then about whether the documents disclosed are in fact sufficiently uh, fully disclosed, whether what, what searches have been run Um, and what documents have been produced is, is reasonable, is proportionate, given the issues involved, given the number of documents involved, and given the need to comply with the overriding objective and make sure that the case is dealt with fairly and in a way that is proportionate. But I think one of the issues, and I'm sure Alexander will have something to say about this as well, is that it can be difficult for judges to resolve disputes between the parties about disclosure um, w- you know without spending a very large amount of time reading into what um, the issues are and looking at the documents in the case, which is not necessarily particularly practical. Alexandra, I don't know if there's anything you want to add about disclosure.
2: Yes. So, so again, Elizabeth, I I would agree with everything you said. I think the important thing to to remember under English law is that, obviously, the the historic position, if you like, and and it still is to a certain extent, is is the so-called standard disclosure, where you're under an obligation to produce documents that adversely affect your own case adversely affect another party's case or support another party's case. And and again, I think it goes back to sort of what I was saying about documents and data that the difficulty you have now is, is when you say to a client, right, sort of what, what documents do you have sort of dealing with this dispute? You, you very often end up with thousands and thousands and thousands of documents. Um, sometimes there's lots of duplication, but sometimes there isn't. And, and again, I, I would say my own experience because obviously going through all those documents is time-consuming and expensive, is that sort of people default to effectively putting everything in unless they, they think it's something that's clearly privileged. And, and, and I think there is this perception sort of of the fear of leaving out a document that then comes out at a later stage and, and getting into trouble with it but again then what you end up with you you end up in 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 a court hearing or an arbitration hearing where you've got 15 lever arch files of documents And, and actually when you sit there it's it's quite rare that sort of you actually see people looking at these documents and sort of so at the end of it you after it you you think well actually did did we need all that And uh, and again, hopefully with with this pilot, although again it is front-loading costs, which I I know everyone is not a fan of, again, hopefully it focuses the mind and and you sort of really narrow it down to to the documents that that are in fact key to the case.
1: Mm, Makes complete sense. Um, In terms of what in-house lawyers might need to particularly consider given the disclosure pilot um, had a few things in mind, one of which is, well, who is going to sign the certificate of compliance required by the court to certify that disclosure has been done properly in accordance with the court's rules. And actually the court's indications is that that may not necessarily be the solicitor dealing with the case, Um, which rather suggests that it would be perhaps the in-house lawyer because they are supposed to be the ones who are making sure that documents have been properly collected. Actually, I find that there are some cases where, if you're doing a real thorough document collection, actually what you're saying to a client is please provide us with absolutely everything on your system sent by various people between various dates and wholesale, you know, shift that across to our automated. Disclosure system um, or document review system, and therefore, actually, it's uh, it's the solicitors who are running the searches on the um, documents, and so perhaps is in fact, in some cases, more appropriate for the solicitors to sign that certificate. Nevertheless, I think it's something that should be discussed between solicitors and in-house lawyers at an early stage. It continues to be the case that, of course. Hold notices, document retention notices, should be sent out at a very, very early stage in the matter, including uh, pre-action, if it's clear that a dispute has arisen and that that would be dealt with by the by the courts. But even if it's an arbitration case, it's good practice to send um, document retention notices. I would send those to anyone who um, you think might hold documents uh, connected to the case. It's interesting that the disclosure pilot scheme was, was slight, slightly tweaked um, following a survey as to you know of practitioners as to how they were finding the scheme. And one of the tweaks that's been made is to clarify that the duty to notify employees and former former employees of the of the parties of the dispute only applies where there are reasonable grounds for believing. That those individuals might have documents that are not otherwise in the possession of the parties. Um, Of course when you're sending out hold notices, I mean perhaps the most important person to send that notice to is somebody in the IT department to make sure that any document deletion process that would otherwise automatically be run is suspended. I think it's also important to make sure that data that might be held on individuals' mobile phones, particularly on, say, WhatsApp chats or WeChat chats, is is collected at an early stage so that there's no issue if, say, that person's phone is updated or lost and they have trouble logging back into their, their account. Before conducting any Searches based on keywords. I would certainly discuss that with external counsel at an early stage. And it's really important to keep a record of any searches for documents that have been carried out. But just to finish off, then, I suppose a couple of points to cover. Heavily linked to issues of disclosure are, of course, issues of privilege. For any in house lawyer, it's important at the beginning of a dispute to talk with um, the key people on the the commercial side, uh, to try to explain to them that documents that they create uh, discussing the underlying facts may end up before uh, the other side and before the court or tribunal, and that they should bear that in mind and perhaps minimise communications about the dispute. I've had a a couple of, of clients who have been really keen to, when a dispute's arisen, produce internal documents which have learning points arising from from the problem, particularly if there's been a a safety aspect involved, and they've had to carefully consider whether it is sensible to sort of do that separate investigation, which would no doubt lead to documents being produced that likely would be disclosable, or whether it would be more sensible to wait until the the, the case is concluded before trying to draw, draw learning points. So, Alexander, just finishing off this second of our two podcasts, we thought we should mention one of the uh, perhaps one, the only one I can think of, Uh, silver lining to COVID over the last year has been perhaps the smooth running of remote hearings. Certainly, been my experience that remote hearings before the English courts have run very well and I found that clients have really appreciated the opportunity to listen to to hearings even when they're not giving evidence themselves remotely. Um, But for now, I think it's been really impressive that the courts have not faced the backlog because of the way that the English courts have embraced remote hearings and the the time and cost savings that, that that has brought with it. I don't know what your experience has been, Alexander.
2: Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I mean, I've I've had a number of hearings in courts in London arbitration, also a, a hearing in Hong Kong arbitration, and, and even with the time difference there, the technology worked very well. Where I find found it slightly difficult. I've had one case in arbitration where there were several witnesses across several time zones. And, and although ultimately you were able to, to set it up so that it ran um, in order and time, that, that I think was, was quite difficult. And, and sort of had it been possible, I, I still think they're probably a, a so-called physical hearing. So everyone in the same room probably still still has more benefits than, than downsides. But, um, yeah, it's it's the sort of, dare I say it, one, it the, the strength of English law that, that it will always adapt to, to do what it needs to do.
1: Absolutely. Um, I think the only no- note of caution I would sound, apart from that, um, the issue you've just raised, is that you know it's important to check, I think, at an early stage, if you're expecting a witness to give evidence by video link Um, what the local uh, laws are in the country in which they're based, um, just to make sure that there is nothing, as I think there there is in Switzerland, in in some parts of Switzerland, um, and to an extent in France and Germany, and I'm sure in many other countries too, where there are local uh, rules about giving evidence which might restrict the ability of parties based there to give evidence to courts abroad. So, for example, in English court proceedings, so I would check the local rules on that at an early stage before you have to sort of scramble around to organise travel, respectively. But otherwise, I think we are we are agreed that um, remote hearings have been a, a pleasant experience, um, surprisingly pleasant experience for for most uh, involved in the last year or so. Um, it's been a, a real blessing to be able to. continue continue with that aspect of the job despite despite COVID so thank you very much for listening today to Alexander and me talking about disclosure and a little bit about remote hearings this was the second of two a two-part podcast on court procedure I hope you've enjoyed it and we encourage you to listen to more of our trading Straits podcasts thank you
0: Trading Straits is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Ali McArdle. For more information about Reed Smith's energy and natural resources or transportation practices, please email tradingstraits at readsmith.com. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, and reedsmith.com, and our social media accounts at Reed Smith LLP on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter.
2: This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. All rights reserved.